Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Again, after they were, uh, they destroyed those in the center part of Canaan. They went to the south, and they conquered those kings. They went to the north, and they conquered those kings. And now there comes a time of peace and rest, relative peace and rest, because now they were going to divide the land according to their tribes. And now comes the the, the banners and and the, the the happy times, because this was probably one of the happiest times that Israel had ever experienced. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Truth in Christ Radio. As Pastor Rob begins chapter 13 of the book of Joshua, we learn that Joshua has aged. Even while acknowledging Joshua's advanced years, God still tells him about a job that needs to be done. No matter how much we've done in our Christian lives, there still remains much to do. There was much land left for Israel to possess. What the land was to Israel, Jesus is to us. We are to keep pressing on to possess all of him. And now, let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 13, and follow along with Pastor Rob. We're going to be looking at uh, Joshua, chapter 13 tonight, and then we'll take communion together. I don't think we'll get to 14. And before we get into chapter 13 tonight, we're just going to back up just ever so slightly and just kind of take stock of what has happened. If you recall, God had uh, promised the children of Israel the land of Canaan. He had promised it to them. Long ago it was prophesied uh, when God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. I would encourage you to read that chapter because God speaks to Abraham and tells him that his, his seed, his descendants, were going to spend 430 years in Egypt. And that at the end of that time, they were going to be led out of Egypt. And part of the reason they would still remain in Egypt is because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. In other words, while God was um, doing a work in his people while they were still in Egypt, he was also doing a work in a heathen people, those seven nations in, in the land of Canaan, the, the, the you know, the... The, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, or the you know the uh, the Hittites, the Hivites, and those uh, those seven group of those seven nations who are idolatrous, they had that all that time to turn away from their sin. But we know that they did not. And there came a time where God said, "Enough is enough," and nationally, He allowed them to all be exterminated, to be driven out, to be dispossessed by the Israelites, whom God was going to bring out of captivity. Uh, spend 40 years in the desert proving them and, and, and revealing their, their, their selves to themselves, revealing their nature to themselves, and also proving them, just getting them to learn obedience. 
And we know that that was a very tough time. And then finally there came a time after Moses and Aaron had passed from the scene. You remember that Joshua took up the mantle and he brought the children of Israel across the Jordan River at flood stage. And God stopped up the waters, did the miracle again on the anniversary of the Red Sea crossing, on the anniversary of actually the Passover. That's when that that deliverance came, when they crossed that river. That was during the Passover. And and I think that's interesting because both were deliverance from destruction. Deliverance from destruction. And so we looked at uh, chapters uh, 6 through 11. And if you remember, one of the things that's interesting about the book of Joshua up to this point in time is that in chapter 6, we see them going against their very first city, which was Jericho. And the, the Bible is, is quite lengthy in, in the description of the preparation, getting, uh, the preparation of the children of Israel to get them to go against Jericho. And then what happened afterwards? And from that moment onward, as, as they get, got into the battle of Ai next, and then as they got into the battle of Bethel and, um, and Ai and also Gibeon in the southern part of the country, that you'll notice that the, the detail of those different campaigns begins to diminish. It's almost like in the very beginning God is spending a lot of time talking about Jericho, a little bit less time talking about Ai and Bethel, and then a little bit less time talking about Gabeah and the sun going down and, and the sun being restrained for a time and the miracle that God did there. But then after that moment, you'll notice that it's almost just like a listing then of kings that were um, destroyed and dispossessed. And there wasn't very much information concerning those. And I find that interesting. And so we're going to... Between uh, chapters 13 and 19, we're going to see now, after this battle, uh, again, after they, were, uh, they destroyed those in the center part of Canaan, they went to the south, and they conquered those kings. They went to the north, and they conquered those kings. And now there comes a time of peace and rest, relative peace and rest, because now they were going to divide the land according to their tribes. And now comes the the, the banners and, and the, the, the happy times, because this was probably one of the happiest times that Israel had ever experienced. The, bad, the big battles have been done, and now it's just a time of settling into the land and settling into homes that have already been created, settling into lands that have already been, already been furrowed. The land had already been furrowed. The land had already been planted. There's vineyards and things that are already planted, that they're inheriting all this stuff. They didn't have to lift a finger to do, and now they're inheriting all of these things, and what a blessing that is. They can hit the ground running, and now they've subdued all their enemies, and now all that's left is really just a few small pockets of things which they know in their heart that if they're obedient, when they get into the land, as they divide the land, they should be able to just drive those enemies out and to take care of those things fairly easily because the big things, the big cities, the big armaments, those things have been taken care of. Now it's just pretty much a cleanup operation when they want to, when they get around to it. And so that is where we are at. So let's back up and let's just look at chapter uh, 11 really quickly just to kind of get us up to speed of where we're going. And let's just read through it just as a way of reminding ourselves where we've been. Now remember Joshua and the children of Israel, they were in this northern campaign, their final campaign before they would begin dividing up the land for their inheritance. So let's look at verse 12 of chapter 11. 
And it says, so all the cities of those kings, speaking of those northern kings, all their kings, Joshua took and he struck with the edge of the sword, and he utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. And the idea behind this is, a lot of times these cities were built on mounds, and they, they call them like little tells. They're, they're like a little hill. And so civilizations, when they, especially cities like this, they, they, they would be up there for hundreds of years, and then they would be destroyed or something would happen, and then they'd build on top of that, and then they'd build on top of it, and then they'd build on top of it. Israel is a perfect example. That city has been destroyed and built up over seven times at least, and I think the number is even greater than that. But the idea is they're just layers of civilization. That's why when they go to Jericho and they started excavating Jericho, they had to go down through layers of, of history before they found uh, those walls. And they were able to discern what happened there and how it happened and what was left. And they could even tell, just like a, like a fire marshal can go into a building that's burned down and he can look and he can find the source of the fire. I don't know if you knew that. When a building burns down, a, a fire marshal will come in because my stepfather was, used to be a, a, he, he was a fire chief. They could go in and they could find the, where the fire began, which to me is, is amazing. But there's ways, physics are involved, and they can figure out exactly where in the building, where it started, the origin of the fire. Was it electric? Was it somebody throwing a Molotov cocktail to the window? How did it happen? And so anyway, but as the city, so they, they, they had these mounds, and if you go to Israel with us in March, you're going to see this town Hazor. It's there to this day, and as we drive Highway 90, going down from the Galilee, down into the Dead Sea area, you're going to see Hazor on your left-hand side, and there's going to be a big mountain and you're going to be able to see it, and you're going to see the ruins, and they're still excavating it, and they're still looking at that, but that is there today. We're going to drive right by it. I don't know if we're going to actually go in and see it, because I think it's still probably off guards to, uh, or off limits to uh, tourists, because they're still looking into things. But wouldn't it just be cool to go up there, and just at night with a, with a shovel, and just start digging around? You know, with your hat and that little whip that Indiana Jones has, I just want to do it so bad. I don't know if you guys will bail me out. Is there, do they bail people out of jail or do they just keep them in there? I don't know. But anyway, I'd love to do that just for fun. Actually, I'd really like to go underneath the Temple Mount, just kind of go underneath the Dome of the Rock and start frittering away down there somewhere in those caverns down underneath there. Probably never see me again. But as the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them. And why would you burn a city that's already well-established? So there was some wisdom in that because the city had already been built up. It had already been inhabited. It's got all this wonderful stuff. So why burn it down when you can just walk in and everything is nearly provided for you? They did that. They only burned one city, and that was Hazor. For some reason, it doesn't make mention of why they did it, but they burned that completely. They just torched it. Um, And so... Verse 14, And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. Again, this is God's command to them that they should do this. And in our culture, again, I, I, can't, I can't escape this for some reason because we've gone so far in our culture from the way God thinks often. You know, there, there, there's, a, there's a repercussions for sin. There's consequences for sin, but not in America anymore. You can do whatever you want. Do you realize how often you have to be put in jail before you spend any real jail time? You can be busted for cocaine, for heroin, and and you get your wrist slapped, and you get sent back out on the street to do the same thing again. 
Nobody learns anything. They learn that crime does pay. Amen? That's what, that's, what our, that's what the kids, that's what the young adults have learned through our administrations today and through the justice system. They've learned that crime does pay. So verse 15, as the Lord commanded Moses, his servant, so Mo- Moses commanded Joshua. Notice the chain of command, God, Moses, and Joshua. The Lord commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did, and he left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And see, this is the reasonable response to any child of God, and especially those in leadership in the church. For any child of God, but especially the leadership, and that is to listen and to obey. To listen and obey. That is what we ought to do. I need to listen and I need to obey. Not to listen and then make alternate ideas, give alternate views about what I think should happen. No, I need to listen and I need to obey. That is where the greatest blessing comes when I do that with the Word of God. Now, some advice from somebody may be worth listening to but not obeying, but when God says something, whether you understand it completely or not, we must listen and obey. He knows best. Remember that. Actually, let's say it together. Ready? He knows best. God knows best. He does. And that is what we are to do. And notice that Joshua's heart, it was single. It was unwavering. He was going to execute what God had told him to do. And you know what? That is such a wonderful heart. Even though it meant the uh, very um, firm things, firm lines were drawn in the sand, and he held to them. He didn't question them. He didn't say, God, I got a better idea. I'm a commander, by the way. I've been through a number of these things. I don't know if you know, but going behind the city with an ambush, not really a good idea, but, you know, if, you, if it be your will. No, he didn't argue with God. He just simply did what God told him. He gave the battle plan. And see, we need to be the same. Remember what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Remember after Saul, the first king of Israel, went in against the, I believe it was the Amalekites, and he was supposed to slay all of them. He was supposed to kill all of them and their king, but he didn't. And he, and he kept back some of the spoil, which he wasn't supposed to take. And then he feigned to be some kind of religious man and say, well, these, are, these animals, uh, after Samuel said, what's this bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Bah! I can hear that in the background. Bah! Samuel says, what's, what's that noise behind me? Oh, that's the people. They wanted to keep it, you know, they, they wanted it. It was the people they did that so we can have animals to sacrifice. And what did Samuel say to Saul, which I think is really great advice for us today. Samuel said to him, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Here it is. It's obedience, isn't it? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And here was the result of that. He said, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Obedience is critical in the Christian walk. If we believe the word of God, the blessing is in obeying it, not just in hearing it, because you can hear it and not do it, and you're not going to be blessed. In fact, I think that's where the Christian church today, including myself at times, where I, don't, I listen, but I don't do. And then I get kind of tired of the word of God. I get kind of lax and lazy, and I don't really think that the word of God is, you know, I get dull of heart. And the secret is because if I do what it says, I will see the blessing. But when I don't do what it says 
then I don't receive the blessing. And then we get upset, we get discouraged, and we say, well, God's word really doesn't work. Have you tried the Lord Jesus Christ? Ah, I tried that. It works good for you, praise the Lord. Are you serious? Taste and see that the Lord is good, and take it and ingest it. It's not until you get it into your mouth and you swallow it and it becomes a part of you and it starts to command you, it starts to drive you. Are you going to really realize the, the, the veracity, the, the, the uh, I hate to use the word efficacy, but that's the only word that's come to my mind, sorry. But it's like, it's effective. It's effective, but you got to do it. You can't just listen to it and say, well, that's good for somebody else. No, it's good for me. It's good for you. Please, brothers and sisters, tonight, change your heart about the word of God. Change your heart about the Word of God. Is it the Word of God? If it is, then give everything of your being to it and obey it. If it's not the Word of God, then go somewhere else and do something else. But I hope you'll come back because it's the truth. And you'll find that it is the truth. Every person has sought their own way, and they go off, and they're like the prodigal son. Eventually, eventually, you'll find yourself really longing for the peace again. Longing for the fellowship again. Make that the, the deciding factor of your heart. I, Lord, this year I want to do something different. I, w- I want to read this word and I want you to do something in this old soul of mine. Do it. Do it, Lord, or I'm going to die. Do you have that fervency? Do you have that, that need, that desperation? I tell you what, when you have the desperation, he's going to show up in a big way. He's going to show up. Verse 16, thus Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the low land, and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel, and its low lands, from Mount Halak and the ascent of, to Seir, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. So now we're way up in the northern part of Israel. And I just think that's interesting. If you, ever, if you go to Israel, again, I'm making all these plugs to Israel because I'm getting excited as we get closer. But when we get up in the, in the, in the northern part on the Golan Heights, there's a military outpost, which we always go to when we go up there, and I don't know what's happened to it recently. It's probably, uh, I, know, I know it's still there, but uh, we're going to go up there, and you're going to look, and on a clear day, you can see Mount Hermon straight in front of you. You can see the snow-capped mountain right in front of you, Mount Hermon, and then you're going to look over to your right, and you're going to see Syria, because you're on a hill, and it goes down, and right there is Syria, and you're going to look over there, and you're going to see Lebanon, and you know it's Lebanon because you look over there, and it looks all brown, because And you look over and you see where Israel starts, and it's all green. Very plush land. The mountains of Israel and its lowlands. So he captured all their kings, notice verse 17 at the end, and he struck them down and he killed them. He didn't negotiate with them. He didn't say, you know, it's not good for me to do that because God says it's not good to kill, so I really can't kill you. No, God said, go and kill them. And that sounds a little stark and, and kind of freaky, doesn't it? Because you don't hear that in anywhere else. You don't hear that anywhere else. Because there's consequences. There's consequences. And this is when God flips over from his grace and he says, now it's time for judgment. And thank God you and I will never have to see that part of God. And woe to the person who is going to see that part of God. Because he is a God, he's a savior, he's a God of love, but he's also a God of vengeance. And we can never wrestle that away. There are people today that would love to just tear that away from God, but that's who he is. We better leave him alone. We better trust him. When he says it's time and that time is up, he's got a really good reasons for saying so. And I ought not to question it. 
So notice in verse 18, Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. It was about a seven-year campaign. So verse 19, there was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. Remember, the Gibeonites kind of deceived the Israelites in feigning that they were something that they really were not. But they did it to save their own neck, and you, and you honestly can't blame them. You can't blame them. But because of their uh, lacks at the time, because of their lack of obedience, because of their keen spiritual discernment, which they didn't have at the moment, they didn't seek the Lord in this whole thing, the Gibeonites bamboozled them, and now they've, they're in this pack with them. Now they've got to help them. They've got to save them from these from this, uh, southern uh, kings that were going to come up against them, because now they were confederate with Israel. Verse 20, for it was of the Lord to harden their hearts. Notice, that, that's, kind of un, that's kind of unsettling too. It kind of reminds me of Exodus with Pharaoh. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. Again, hard to, hard to read, but God is a God of justice. He's, he's not necessarily fair, but he's a just God. Is it, do you know the difference? God is not necessarily fair, but he's just. Because why would he allow Isaac and, and Esau, why would he give the greater blessing? Why would he say through Jacob, you know, would be the, what, the, the coming Messiah would come through, but sorry, Esau, I'm still going to bless you, but you're not going to be, uh, you know, in, as prominent as your brother. That's not fair, is it? Everyone would raise the flags and say, that's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair, but God is just. There's a difference. He's just. And why is this? Why would God, you know, uh, do this kind of thing and actually destroy them? Because the Lord had already passed judgment upon that, those, five, those seven nations, didn't he? There's verses of justification. And, and if you write anything down tonight, write this verse down. It's Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. I call it the verses of justification. <laughs> because God's going to justify why he did this, why he did this. And I think it's good for us to understand the mind of God, and sometimes he does give us reasons why he does certain things, and other times he doesn't. And this is one place where he does. He says exactly why. To go into these seven nations, completely destroy them. <gasps> You've got to be kidding. I thought you were a God of love. And well, he is a God of love. He is a God of love. Let me read it to you, but just remember, Deuteronomy chapter 20, 16 through 18. Memorize this verse if you have to, because people don't understand this. This is one of the biggest hurdles for people to get through today, because God says something like this, and he means business. He says, but the cities, God speaking to the children of Israel, he says, but of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. But you shall utterly destroy them. And he lists, the, lists these nations, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. And why? Why is he going to have them do this? Here is the reason. Here is the justification for it all. Verse 18, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. In fact, that's the reason why God is going to dispossess them. He's going to allow the Israelites to come against them and dispossess them and take them out of their land and destroy them because of that very reason. Again, it's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? But again, these people have been sinning 
And they continued to sacrifice their children on the fires of the altar of Molech. They've continued to do these horrible things. And if any one of us were to see that going on for 400 or more years... I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.